An individual is never an individual. We are part of a community, whether we want it or not. We're being influenced by a community, the resources in that community, the limitations in that community. When it comes to food, most communities that we know, prior to 1950s, 1940s, were mostly plant-centered. Now, meat and cheese and dairy and salt and sugar has become food of opulence. What we do when we go to these different communities, find out what's the healthy version of their food, of their living experience in the past and just focus on that and highlight Build that. on that, yeah. historically, culturally, emotionally. Welcome to the Brain Health Revolution podcast with your hosts, Aisha and Dean Sherzai. We are neurologists, scientists, and authors of two best-selling books and parents to two amazing humans. In a world where our understanding of brain health is constantly evolving, join us as we unravel the mysteries of the human brain. Through captivating conversations, insightful interviews, and thought-provoking discussions, we empower you with the knowledge and tools to optimize brain function and prevent cognitive decline. From nutrition, exercise, restorative sleep, to building cognitive resilience and the impact of technology, we explore the fascinating connections between brain health and other facets of our lives. Get ready to unlock the potential of your brain and embrace a life of vitality. Welcome, everyone. I hope you're all doing well and having a great day. Dean and I will speak about behavior change in a community setting today. We think it's literally the most important factor. I mean, for the last 15 years, we've been working in the clinics and the communities in cities and towns. I think we had the most unique clinical experience and medical experience. We actually go to the communities because it's not incentivized. There's no funding there. There's no money there. We go to the communities and figure out what's going on as far as behavior change because the frustration is just immense. For physicians, as much as people think that we just sit there to make money, and which is actually not much uh, for physicians anymore, it's most of us, if not all of us, are in it because we care. We want to make a difference. We want to make a dent in this horrible health environment that we, we exist in, which all these diseases of degeneration and diseases of proliferation, like cancers, and much of it is environmentally induced. And they come to the clinic, we see them for 15 minutes, and in that 15 minutes, I'm supposed to take care of their blood pressure, pulse, heart rate, their cognitive state, their medications and everything else, and also make a difference in everything else that's influencing their life out there. It's not only an impossible task, it's almost like designed to fail people. That's why there's so much depression among physicians. That's why there's so much suicide among physicians, because at the heart of it, we do want to make a difference. It's just a frustrating thing. And reality is if we don't have a conversation, a clear conversation, a meaningful conversation about where the centerpiece, the, the motive force, the core of this problem is, we'll forever go in circles. You know, I'm not gonna even bring that trite statement like those who um, you know want to change things and and repeat it over and over again no it's worse than that we incentivize the bad habits we incentivize the bad foods we incentivize the bad environments where people can't walk and then at the same time we on the side we make a little gesture towards health and say oh but they have to change themselves it is so cynical because it throws all the blame on the patient on the person it's worse than that it's ignorance because it's ignoring the statistics we are a statistical beings 
things. The data shows that we are quickly becoming more and more obese, unhealthy, disease-ridden with chronic diseases. It's not like people don't want to change. It's not like people don't want to be better. It's not like people want to live with chronic diseases. It's because the behavioral power that drives behaviors has to be acknowledged. And the battle is the battle of belief that, oh, people should pull themselves by the bootstraps. People can change their own environment. Not recognizing behavioral science that now knows that our environments, our communities, the things around us have more of an effect than our powerful beliefs in ourselves. I'll speak about myself. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna be very open here. Yeah. No. Before you go there, uh, this was a wonderful preface to the conversation, and I'm going to pose some questions because you and I have talked about it a lot. But I wanted to, for the sake of this conversation, I think it's important to pose this question. So you and I both do individual work, which means you sit in front of a person, you assess them you see their strengths and you see their limitations and in the cusp of these two their proclivities and their life situation and their risk factors you devise a plan for them to follow what is the difference between an individualized change model change behavior model versus a community change model and why is that important an individualized change model is powerful. There are programs out there, but an individual is never an individual. We are part of a community, whether we want it or not. We're being influenced by a community, the resources in that community, the limitations in that community, the stressors in that community. The biggest driver of health and wellness is your zip code. True. This was the thing that actually stood out in the last few years where people have realized that the biggest predictor of your health and your success is your zip code. What does that have to do? With. It has to do with community. And I mean community in the more broader sense of the term. Community is not like me and some other people saying hi and bye together. Community is shared ideals, shared resources, shared environments, shared stressors, shared pains, shared suffering, and shared loves and shared food and shared movement and shared stress and shared sleep. And all of that is a community, whether you acknowledge it or not, unless you're living in, in a forest by yourself, you're living in a community. That's the nature of 21st century. We are all connected to each other. If we hope to make a change from the public health perspective, community has to be acknowledged. Now, the, here's the opportunity, and that's where you and I work on. Community no longer has to be your zip code. Community can be influenced by artificial communities that you can make. Communities that you create using the technologies that have come about. That's true. So yeah. online communities that become so close that they become more powerful than a living community. How often do you see your neighbors? How often do you talk to the person that lives less than 100 feet from you? But we've created communities, the Neuro Academy and others, that 1,000 people or more are living together, connecting. They count their walks. We set up challenges, exercise challenges. We started with 1 million steps towards brain health, and everybody would count their steps and we had this cumulative data bank and I remember right around Friday when the deadline would be Monday morning <laughs> everybody would rush and they would start walking but just this idea of contributing towards a community goal is so much fun and you're right that that is one of the positive aspects of being in a community where you're reminded of your good habits you're rewarded by it you are helped you are excused sometimes if you are having any issues and just the idea that you're contributing to something more collective than an individual is more rewarding in my opinion. Absolutely. I mean, public health, and we always say this, uh, uh, real estate is about location, location, location. Public health is about resources, information, 
resources such as downloadables, information that you can grab at your whim, and health, uh, health resources. Let's get back to the your story. You actually wanted to say that I wanted to talk about my um, situation. I, so I let's forgot go back all to the about my story. <laughs> I'm, I know I'm a memory doctor, but I'm, no, I think I remember it. Um, I'm, I'm speaking about my own challenges, um, and, and everybody has challenges, but I want to personalize it. One of the challenges is the injuries I've, I've accrued. That's true, um, yes. I played lots of um, contact sports when I was in high school, and that's my lower back injury. And then recently, because I was a part of this exercise challenge, I injured both shoulders. One of them had surgery, and the other one is getting surgery soon. Those limitations have affected me significantly psychologically. And that's I'm a true. hypomanic, very happy, joyous, nothing gets yes, me down. Yes. But when you have injury that also affects sleep, it becomes a very chronic problem. The other problem is eating. As healthy as we are in our household, the injury, the stressors around that and lack of sleep, as well as the amount of work you and I do for two non-for-profits and community work that we do and patient care and everything else. And two teen kids. And two teen kids. <laughs> I, I was about, about to say that. two dogs, but they're, they're medicine. No. They're, they're therapy. Yeah, the, do they're, the, the, the dogs are lovely. therapy. It becomes the kids a, are lovely too. The I just kids don't want the audience to, I, to feel I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It affects food. It affects sleep, stress, movement, all of that stuff. This is not me showing off or anything, but I have, I'm, people say, you have, Dean, you have more degrees than a thermostat. I have degrees in behavior, PhD in behavior, uh, MPH in, in nutrition and lifestyle, and, and, and of course, neurology and all of that. doesn't matter. The degrees mean nothing. <laughs> Once the forces of life take over, it becomes overwhelming. Sure one little thing going wrong and my stress cycle and sleep cycle and everything is altered. Absolutely. So I understand yeah. that when people say that they have difficulty with changing behavior and I get angry about people who judge people indirectly for their inability to change certain things in their life. It takes a system. Systems is what we must work on and systems must adapt to people. Systems must adapt to communities. Systems must make communities adapt the systems in your own household. And only when you do that, can you slowly increase mentally and then of course it accelerates change uh, environment in your own household the core concept of all of this is change change is important but change is also very difficult change is one of the hardest things you can imagine especially later in life so there are three manifestations of human output behavior thoughts and emotions emotions are amorphous people try to change emotions you can't often we mismanage emotions there's a bad feeling and then some small thing happens this bad feeling combines with the emotion of that small malfeasance or problem or mistake and exaggerate that often this flowing of emotion from one vessel to the next vessel completely devastates us so we really have to first become aware of our emotions and manage them and, and understand them. changing them is difficult the other two which is thought and behavior are more manageable but even there Thoughts are miscalculated, overestimated, overstated. You take a small thought and make it catastrophic. And in reality, if you do a systematic approach to it, you can reduce it to simplicity. And then behaviors are better, especially movements. That's why exercise is so effective in everything because it affects dopamine, which is motivational pathways, as well as movement and everything else. So it's important to how to approach it because otherwise the emotions, behaviors, and thoughts have been codified through not your choice but through indirect dysfunctional pathways we have to acknowledge them we have to identify them write them down specifically 
these are the behaviors I like, these are the behaviors I don't like, and these are the behaviors that I would like to have in my life and systematically reprogram. And that's where the community comes in, what we've created in NeuroAcademy. Right. Both the identification <clears throat> of those behaviors is critical and creating new behaviors is something that will take more time. Often people are not able to identify the specific behaviors that result in an action. It's difficult to delineate and say, okay, if I have had a bad day at work, it almost feels like you want to care for yourself by resorting to something that is most comfortable. Yeah. For a lot of people, that may be bad food, not moving, doing some behaviors that could potentially be harmful, anger, pushing away, hiding, running away. All of that is, is a manifestation of some discomfort that people feel. Delineating all of those elements and identifying them requires for someone to be challenged in some way, yeah. right? It's very difficult for people to actually make that link. We start by taking a piece of paper and writing down what are your values as a human being? What are your objectives, specific objectives as a human being? The values are the pathways through which behaviors should be filtered. These behaviors I'm doing fit these values. Otherwise, we're in chaos and in, in flux. Right. Now you take a day and you look at the day and say, how much of my day served the purpose? And the behaviors that I manifested, whether it was hard work or not hard work, and we have to be honest here, mm. whether it was aggression or not aggression, whether it was passiveness or proactiveness or all of these things. And then you sit and say, okay, today I did this from this time to this time, this time. Did it truly serve my purpose long-term? Things that you have, you want to be, things that you want to be involved in. And then the behaviors, are they serving those purposes? Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful mechanism to work through mm -hmm. because as you do this on a daily basis, a few minutes a day, you see how we filter experiences matter. One stops you from moving forward. One puts you on your heels. The other one gives you hope, resilience, and that becomes you. That's beautiful. Sometimes when you look at it this way, it, almost like a business model for your life, it kind of feels cold and it doesn't inspire you right away. Of course, when you're in it and when you see the outcome and your dopamine starts kicking in, that's phenomenal. But looking at it from a strategic perspective like this doesn't feel very enticing. And that's why most people, based on the behavioral patterns that we see in the community, people are essentially automatons, which means that they move from one action to another, to another, to another, without much thought and strategy behind it. And before you know it, days go by, weeks go by, months go by, but your actions are not rooted in a value-based change model moving forward. Correct. One of our values is compassion. Right. Connecting with the others from humans to animals, to environment, to everything else. And that takes strength because we're so overwhelmed from moment to moment. But if you systematize it, you create space for that. Mm -hmm. It becomes you in everything and it's empowering. You're not going to lose anything because compassion is me and it's connecting with others. I love the idea that you actually make space for compassion yes. if you have a strategic approach to life. It's not going to be in the back burner. It's not going to be a contrived space. It's going to be a space within your existence. Right. It has its own floor. Absolutely. Hopefully it's the top floor. <laughs> Penthouse. I hope so too. 
We'll take a moment halfway through discussing this fascinating topic to talk about Nair Academy, an online community for those who are interested in learning more about living a brain-healthy life. Nair Academy is an online community of over 500 members now, and its goal is to help you expand your knowledge about the latest advances in brain health and applying all that knowledge towards your well-being. It's one thing to have the knowledge, but a completely different experience to have a team of experts that will help you translate that knowledge into your daily life. And Neuro Academy serves both of those goals. Dive into a collection of on-demand courses that cover various aspects of brain health, whether you're interested in learning about optimal nutrition, exercise, building resilience, or the science of lifestyle choices and cognitive well-being, you'll find courses to satisfy your curiosity. Plus, you can earn certifications and request CE and CME credits. Every Monday, join us for a live Q&A session, get direct answers to your burning questions and interact with the lovely community. On Fridays, participate in our live cooking sessions to learn brain-boosting recipes that you can make in your own kitchen. And if you're a culinary enthusiast, connect with like-minded members in the Neuro Cooking Club where you can share your passion for brain-healthy cuisine. There are various interest clubs such as the Neuro Book Club, Exercise Club, Gardening Club, and more. Visit neuroacademy.com to learn more and invest in your brain's well-being for a brighter, healthier future. Now let's get back to our discussion. Some of the typical conversations that you hear about bringing about change and setting good behaviors is with SMART goals, you know, for them to be specific, measurable, achievable, uh, relevant, and time-bound. And that has been overused. Is that applicable in a community level as well, or does it need to be more nuanced? It, it really has to be that specific. And, and nobody can give you that except yourself because nobody knows the level of specificity of that behavior. We always say go from the lowest denominator, from the lowest hanging fruit on up right. because that creates momentum. That's why we start with walking. There's nothing nuanced about it. It's not like sleep with where multiple sleep variables are. Yeah. Yes. But with, with exercise, morning walk affects so many things, including your mood directly through dopamine and serotonin, including your sleep directly in the morning through melatonin and cortisol, it affects everything. And so identify your measurable behaviors and start with the easiest one. Build on that. Succeed. And even if you don't succeed, it's not a failure. Reassess. That becomes a, such a powerful thing knowing that there's no failure. I did it three days in a row. That's phenomenal. That's a success. Next time I'm going to do four. Oh, it didn't become four. It was two. That's okay. I have a system now. I know that, oh, this day I actually had a meeting planned there. So now I'm going to be a little more cognizant about meetings because exercise is important to me. Exercise is me. Okay, that was great. What are your thoughts about the environment changing in a community setting? How is that going to help people change their habits? So there's some evidence that one can change the environment and change public health significant. One example is cigarettes. People aren't able to smoke in certain spaces and that has significantly affected public health. Mm -hmm. Environment changing uh, with regards to taxes. High taxes on, on cigarettes have significantly reduced cigarette smoking. Some cities where they've created bike zones and then changing other environmental factors such as food scarcity and making sure that fast food is limited and all that. Those are tough. Those are not just local issues. Those are national issues. True. Until those change, which I, I'm quite incredulous, it's critical that we change to the communities mm. instead of change the communities. What do you mean by that? So all communities have pathways to health. 
when it comes to food, most communities that we know prior to 1950s, 1940s were mostly plant centered. Now meat and cheese and dairy and salt and sugar has become food of opulence. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, that's why it's so difficult to pull it away and tell people to not eat it. It's like, oh, really? Now that we have the resources, you want us not to eat all these things? Right. And of course, it's everywhere. And of course, it's subsidized. You can get two burgers for you know three dollars. Right. That would be impossible unless it was subsidized. So changing those things are important, but, but reflecting on the original foods that people ate. Mediterranean diet is not a food that's in Sardinia and in Greece. Mediterranean food is a food paradigm, a type of food, which is more plants. You actually, you did the biggest research. You won the award for this. But you get more points for greens, beans, legumes, cruciferous vegetables, and things of that nature. And you get less points for meat, cheese, dairy, and, and fat and saturated sugar. Fat saturated fat specifically. Fat, saturated fat specifically. And then if you look at the African-American food, 50 years, 60 years ago, it was mostly plant-based. If you look at the Filipino food, right. mostly plant-based. Right. And maybe fish here and there. As, not as much as people think it was. You look at Japanese food, mostly plant-based with occasions of fish here and there. The reality is most of the food in the past that we deem as healthy, and we know we have data as being healthy, has to do with their culture. Seventh-day Adventist, the right. healthiest people in the world. Why? Because the religion says that you are supposed to eat more plants and no meat. It's the more, cultural more aspect. cooked foods. Correct. Yeah. So it's the original cultural aspect that's important. So what we do when we go to these different communities, find out what's the healthy version of their food, of their living experience in the past. And just focus on that and highlight Build that. on that. Yeah. Historically, culturally, emotionally. You go and say, did you have greens in your diet in the past? Oh yeah, we used to eat greens in this form, this form, and this form. Let's try it again and let's put a flair to it. And what we do in our, in our academy community is we provide different ways people eat healthy food, but we, we love the concept of tasty, easy, and healthy. Right. So it has to be easy, it has to be tasty, it has to be healthy. So we change to the communities and we bring healthcare to the community's proclivities, tendencies, needs, limitations, and all of that. And that's a much easier lift than to change buildings and streets and politicians and mm. political fights and, and, oh, and of course, industry, which is not a winning fight. So, yeah. That is definitely difficult. You're absolutely right. So modifying whatever behavior that is necessary for their well-being according to their culture, according to their wishes, rather than a top-down model where you say, here's a brochure, eat these foods, don't eat these foods. That really doesn't work. Yeah, and, and the other thing we, do, we don't do is we force our way onto people. No cheese, no meat, no salt, no butter, no sugar, no, no oil, no no anything uh, you're going to eat this way uh, or else it's not going to work no it's not going to work no. we are whole food plant-based right but you have to meet people where they are mm -hmm. and you have to adjust slowly where they want to and where they can and once people see behavior change in one or two things oh my goodness the stickiness of that behavior the stackability of that behavior the overwhelming power of that behavior becomes the nidus, the crystal that builds the, the ultimate structure is just overwhelming. So a elitist all or none phenomena is what's destroyed healthcare as well. I completely One agree with that. I completely agree with that. 
I think this was an amazing stepping stone towards our future conversation, hopefully next week, where we will talk about creating systems, the importance of identity when it comes to living a healthy life and having healthy behaviors, and the importance of culture as a very important ingredient in all of this. And we will talk about that next week. Thank you so much, Dean, for this wonderful conversation. And thank you to all of you, lovely audience, for being here with us. And we look forward to speaking with you all again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to stay up to date with future episodes, please subscribe and follow our podcast on Apple or Spotify and watch the recordings on our YouTube channel. We would appreciate you supporting this show with your review as it helps it reach more people. We look forward to connecting again in the next episode. 